Hi, I'm Princess Rara. And I'm Dara, the Electro Khaleesi. And this is Pink Kink, the podcast where we talk about the pretty, twisted side of kink. Today's episode is produced by our electrifying pink kinksters. Thank you, Jay Witcherman, Brianna Lynn, Daddy Jay, Fabe, Embers, Blossom, William P., Claire, Jam Today, Mr. N and Mrs. Jess, Mistress Good Girl, Lady Blooding, Primal Empress, Kaze, Clockwork Dork, Roxy, Mistress Francesca, Naughty and Nice, Butte Pain, Northern Sir, Manda Panda, Cat, Stefan, Brooklyn B., Shadow Phoenix, Serenity Deb, Robert, Ruby R., Christopher, Kilted Sir, Sam, Firegood and his good boy Grant, Brianna Lynn, May Cry Devil, Ruby Riot, MJ Stryker, J Swizz, Mistress Velma, Enchanted Sparrow, Blown Deuce, The Wombat, Impact Hazard, Twitch, Lioness X, The Midnight Girl, Sinful, Mrs. and Mr. Hart, J21, Christina, Daisy If You Do, Princess Katharina and Katharina's Thrall, Harley Chick, Violet Rain, Serenity, Belle, and Puppy Mike. Pink Kink runs off the generosity of our devoted patrons. As a patron, you will become a member of our special Discord server, receive some adorable Pink Kink stickers, as well as have access to a monthly behind-the-scenes podcast. In addition, our impactful and electrifying Pink Kinksters will get special audio and video episodes. And finally, patrons at our highest tier will be recognized as producers both here on the podcast and on our website. If you would like to become a patron, you can visit us at patreon.com slash pinkkinkpodcast or click the link at pinkkinkpodcast.com. All right, we're going to do something crazy here, and I'm just going to like go straight into the topic, Dara, because I want to be different. I know. I know. We don't but do just, that, though. That's like not our thing. I know, but I'm so excited. Like, I really want to do this. No, I understand. But I have to tell you, I don't understand why you're excited. It's It's written in red. It's not pink. Okay, don't start. It's pink. It was pink on my computer. It's not, though. I'm sorry, but this is really red. Whatever. (laughs) Anyway, so we've had a lot of requests to talk about asexuality and kink, right? It's come up a lot in our patron Discord server. I've had requests through TikTok and Instagram. But neither Dara nor I identify as asexual. So I just didn't really feel like we could give a good understanding of how people who identify as asexual could really be attracted to the idea of kink. And this was, for me, a really important topic because it does affect so many people. I am amazed at the more and more people that I meet at munches and events who tell me they identify as asexual. So we sought out someone who really understands the subject, and boy, did we really get lucky. And I'll confess, I might just be fangirling a little bit here because I've been a fan of hers for a while. And I often use her YouTube videos as part of my research for a lot of the different episodes that that we do. And of course, I am talking about Evie Lupine. Now, for those of you who are living under a rock and maybe haven't heard who Evie is, she is an, (laughs) well, you know, there's a few people. Come on, like, how are you going to be rude like that? (laughs) She is an asexual kink educator and YouTuber that first began her journey into the lifestyle about seven years ago. And in that time, she's been a 24-7 collared submissive, a pet player, a bondage freak, and an occasional sadist. I'm liking all this. Mm-hmm. I, I Sounds great to me so right? far. I like it. Her passion for learning, as well as her diverse interests within kink, naturally led her in the direction of helping others 
with their own discovery processes. She focuses on supporting folks, developing happier, healthier relationships, while separating the fantasy from the reality of doing BDSM every day. So welcome, Evie. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. I'm so excited for this conversation and to be here. We got really lucky. I, As I said, I've I'm been a fan of Evie's and I was watching one of her Friday Night Lives on YouTube when she mentioned she was looking for some podcasts to be a part of. And my little fingers, I almost sprained my thumbs trying to type <laughs> into the thing saying, please, we would love to have you on. And then meanwhile, I'm also texting Dar going, oh my God, so I'm trying to get Evie Lupine on. I really hope this works. Don't tell it, her what my reaction was. <laughs> it, it's okay. I, I, I accept that sometimes I fangirl. We have people fangirl over us, so we're allowed to fangirl over others. Oh, I'm saying, of course, we're allowed to. I just, I, I have to admit, I didn't actually know who you were. I am one of those people who is living under a rock because- She does. I don't watch this kind of stuff on the regular, though. Only time I ever do it is if Rara links it to me. Mm. Like, I am not a social media person. I don't go out of my way to, like, go look at this stuff. So Rara is going, oh, my God, I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's great. OK, well, this would be awesome because then you're going to have like a completely unbiased, unlike sullied opinion about anything I have to say. And I love that. I will have a shit ton of questions for you. Awesome. I love it. That's great. I love Most the likely. dynamic of like somebody who knows me a lot and somebody who doesn't know me at all. It's like a perfect kind of audience standard for listeners as well. So that's good. That's good. I, I did hear of you one time before Rara mentioned mm. it. So I remembered the name. There was another girl in a different Discord. We were talking to her and she mentioned your video. And I was like, oh, okay. Like a YouTuber. And she goes, yeah, yeah, she's amazing. Da, da, da. I was like, I got to check this out. And then I just <laughs> didn't. Oh, no, it's been fun. So I've been watching for a while and I've been, I love the progression. Like I can tell based upon the length of your hair, where you are, <laughs> yeah. what time it is, <laughs> you know, there's been a couple of different locations. Mm -hmm. Sweetie, that's called stalking. Is it stalking okay. if I and put the point? information out there for people to watch like six years of my life? <laughs> Just Truman show my, myself? Oh, that'd be hilarious. What is it? Is it stalking or is it paying attention? Mm, if it's just hair Supporting. I think it's probably paying attention. How about supporting? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Being okay. Okay. Thoughtful. Being thoughtful. Okay. <laughs> we are basically, hold on. We, I just need to mention, just in case you haven't figured it out yet, we're basically sisters. Mm -hmm. I'm the annoying younger sister. She is. Yeah. So we constantly go at each other. Yeah. And I, I'm the one who's the older sister who's trying to keep things in the lane lines, moving along. And the bratty younger sister just causes problems. Yeah. Pretty much. Great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, we've all, I've been there before. <laughs> I'm just gonna be one second. My dog really wants to come in the room and oh, she's like, not no problem. leaving the door alone. My dog is just going. Whoof. And if we, if anybody understands about the doggies, it's us. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Oh, look at that <gasps> fluff. I'm not cutting any of this. Yeah, you're keeping the fluff in? I am keeping the fluffykins in there because that was so cute. <laughs> she didn't hear any of that. No, we were just saying hi to the fluffy. Oh, good. I said, I'm not cutting any of this because that dog needs to make a cameo. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you mean like the website cameo? Like I like people pay yeah. whatever amount of money to like get a little video from people. You probably don't know what that is now that I've I've mentioned that. Or do you mean like a cameo? She does. I do. <laughs> I do. So there. Okay. Well, there's a thing yeah, called you, Cameo you're gonna know a lot more. where <laughs> internet celebrities and social media people, uh, like you, even like actual celebrities, like I, I don't, I feel like there was somebody who was really famous that was maybe like Matthew Perry or somebody was doing them, and like you can sign up for the website and then you can pay a celebrity like fifty dollars to send you basically like a short TikTok video of like happy birthday or congrats on your promotion or whatever. Like, you just hire them to say things into the camera, and I would love that be a thing for like famous social media animals that would be very cute. oh yeah that'd be so cool that'd be cool i we don't have do i don't have famous ones but i'm pretty sure they would love to do it well that's how they become famous yeah mine's over there and, and hold on there uh, there's one <laughs> and the other one is under my foot classic all right all right ready to get back on track no Sarah. So for those who follow the podcast, they know that probably one of my biggest pet peeves is the idea that kink is all about sex, Mm. right? Drives me insane. And when I try to explain to people that, like, for example, for me, they're two completely different things. They look at me like I'm kind of nuts. And now we're telling them that folks who identify as asexual participate in kink. It breaks their brains. We're going to blow their minds today, and I'm looking forward to those explosions. Oh, it's going to be great. Like, Rara literally has me put in, do you know the dragging sound of, like, scraping a chair across the oh, across yeah. the floor? Mm-hmm. That's her soapbox sound. That's my soapbox. <laughs> so now I'm going to have to do a soapbox sound with two people. Yeah. Well, look, I don't describe myself as asexual at all, but yet I do platonic kink and I keep it separate, so... I get it, but it's it's interesting. So I think we probably need to start with really explaining what asexuality is. Yeah, for sure. Especially because like platonic BDSM and being an ace person that does BDSM are very much like overlapping areas. But somebody who is an allosexual or a non-asexual person is going to have a very different experience of doing BDSM even from an ace person. So being an asexual person just means that I don't experience sexual attraction. It's actually better understood as like a spectrum of asexuality between there are people who, which is what I identify as a gray A, where you experience very occasional or not very strong sexual attraction. And maybe it's hard to identify. You're like, well, I think that's what this is supposed to be, but I don't really feel it strongly enough or often enough or consistently enough to really know this for sure what's happening all the way over to people that are asexual and romantic, where they both do not experience sexual attraction or romantic attraction. And there's a bunch of different labels between those two points around them. It's very much like a four-dimensional graph of different possibilities. One of the reasons why I really love asexuality is because it can end up being a home for people that don't really feel like they fit in anywhere else, or maybe they were really struggling for a long time to figure out where they fit. Nothing really seemed right. And when you discover how diverse being asexual can be, you really get this chance to discover, okay, well, maybe it is more complicated than I was initially thinking, and it's okay that it's complicated, and I'm sort of like here, way up in the corner on this graph, and not necessarily along this like line between heterosexual and gay or lesbian, 
And actually, on that note, there are a lot of ace people that start out, especially in like high school and college age during that time period, thinking they might be bisexual or pansexual because they feel the same way about all of the genders. And then it turns out, oh, wait, actually, it's not that I like everyone. It's that I don't like anybody. And so that's basically how a lot of people end up discovering things. That's really cool. I, I do have one question. Yeah. You mentioned earlier... Uh, a word that I'm not familiar with, allosexual? Oh, yeah, allosexual. And I, sorry, I thought I explained that. But allosexual just means non-asexual. So anyone who's not on the okay. spectrum is allosexual. You also, I think there used to be another term that people would use was called Z-sexual, like the British and like Canadian pronunciation of the word Z or the letter Z. But I don't really hear people use it anymore. You'll kind of see it on like forums and like, lists of like asexuality terms but it doesn't really get used that much these days okay yeah i learned a couple of new terms while i was doing research for this so um within the people who are like allosexual there's was it, i think it was spontaneous sexual like when you look at somebody and think damn i want to fuck you versus people who are more um it, it comes over time as they get to know somebody Mm. I know there's, and this isn't really necessarily an asexuality thing, but I have definitely heard the terminology of people with responsive desire versus spontaneous oh, desire. Is that what that yeah. was? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I, I always joke about that and talk about I'm definitely the spontaneous one. I'm the one who sees a person across the room and goes, damn, they're hot. I need to fuck them. Mm. Which I don't I understand I do know what demisexual. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard demisexual. Oh, yeah. And that definitely fits onto the ace spectrum. Some people, depending on who you ask, some people will say it's kind of like this separate third thing outside the ace spectrum, kind of between it and being allosexual. And other people will say it's part of the ace spectrum. I think the debate has kind of more settled on it being part of the ace spectrum. And being demisexual just means that you don't experience sexual attraction until you develop a bond with someone. And a lot of people think that means, oh, well, it just means you're being picky. It means that you're being prudish. You don't want to like put out too easily or whatever, or that that's just like normal, right? Everyone's really that way. You know, why would you want to have sex with somebody you don't know? And like, as you just described, right? Like you can look across the room and see someone I and do. be like, I know I want to fuck and them. And for Demi people, that doesn't exist, right? <laughs> they might look at somebody and go, I want to be their friend. And this goes for a lot of ace folks. You can look at somebody and go, I want to date them. They seem really cool. I want to hold hands with them. I want to get to know them better as a friend. I really love how they look. I love their aesthetic. But that doesn't translate into necessarily, and then I also want to have sex with them. I think that's kind of where asexuality gets confusing for people is like, yes, there is definitely the part of it that is like, the romance part or there can be that or the aesthetic or the platonic everything else but for people that aren't asexual because these things all kind of get pressed down together into like one attraction it seems like oh well you're experiencing what i'm experiencing so how is that any different but it's for us we separate them out a lot and the difference between sexual attraction romantic platonic and so on and so forth is like very pronounced and important and is part of what being on the a spectrum can be about and where does like aromantic fall into that? I mean, I would because that's also another new term. Yeah. That I've oh yeah, I do know that one too. Okay, so okay, so we're sort of. I would say that there's sort of like 
a separate but like parallel existence of romantic attraction and sexual attraction so for the most part when people talk about like the lgbt plus community or like sexual identities romance and sex kind of get compressed together and the people you are romantically attracted to you are also sexually attracted to and those things get paired up but something that we developed in the ace community and actually maybe it was aromantics i don't want to necessarily uh, take responsibility for that i don't know which one of us invented this but there is something called the split attraction model or SAM, which is a way of understanding how attractions, like I just listed out with romantic and platonic and aesthetic, can be separated from each other. And for some people, they might be asexual, but they might be biromantic or heteroromantic or homoromantic, or maybe they don't want to have sex with people, but they do want to have romantic involved people or vice versa. They can be not asexual, they can be allosexual, and uh, they can be aromantic. Uh, and sometimes they go together. I don't know what the percentages work out to be in terms of like how many people that are aromantic or ace or vice versa. Uh, but that's where that difference in romantic versus sexual attraction comes from. And they're very much parallels of each other. And it's something that I actually find that aromantic representation is even worse in the wider world than asexuality is because you have to go even a step farther, I think, away from like, our dominant culture's way of thinking about relationships to get to understand aromanticism because even in things like, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey and other romance movies where sex is a really big component of it, there's always this underlying desire for, you know, romance and dating and settling down and getting married and that that is like the prime driver in people's lives is that desire for like a singular romantic relationship where you know, they're your best friend, they're your confidant, they're your everything, right, all of the time. And aromantic people maybe want to have a really close connection. They want to have what's called, and this is another new term, a queer platonic relationship <laughs> where there is that close bonding, but it's based more on friendship instead of on romance. And like how friendship and other types of relationships can be just as deep and important to people without it being based on romance. It's kind of this way of it's like queering of relationship model where instead of being stuck in this like single relationship style of you're going to date someone, going to be a romantic love, they're going to be in your absolute inner circle and everyone else is like an order of magnitude less important than this person simply because of that romantic connection and aromanticism and by extension queer platonic relationships kind of look at that and go, does that have to be true? Like, can I have a fulfilling life, fulfilling relationships and have it not involve romance? Or can I have sex without romance and find that fulfilling? And a lot of people, interestingly enough, even our kind of current culture that sort of, I think, in weird ways, both pressures people to not have sex, but then also pressures them to have lots of sex so they can, like, like show off, like, how like cool and i don't even know how to describe that really but my perspective as an ace person is it kind of seems like modern culture the coming kind of more from zoomers is like very prudish but like my generation <laughs> of like kind of the younger millennials is very much like if you're a feminist if you're you know not a conservative you're gonna sleep around and have like 20 sexual partners and you're gonna have all threesomes and orgies and do all this crazy stuff and it's gonna be fun anyways i feel like i've just done three different rants in like five seconds <laughs> So no, okay. probably this this great. Down before I keep going. Right. If we that, that's fine. Yeah. Um, it just it's interesting because I do actually understand the separation mm. of the sex and the romance 
because I've gotten involved within the swinger community. Oh, yeah. So yeah, for I, sure. So I can go to an event and fuck somebody and never talk to them again. Like, there's no romance. Mm-hmm. Again, it comes back to that, you know, spontaneous. I see you. I'm turned on. I want to fuck you. I'm done. Thank mm-hmm. you. Good night. So, so I do understand that. But it's, you know, a lot. This is all very new to me. I, I talk all the time. I'm old. Like, I am literally <laughs> one. I'm one year away from being a boomer. So this Man, is you are, all. You were this close this to close. not being acceptable. I, <laughs> I was this close to my child actually be, be able to say to me, okay, boomer. Mm. And she can't. So, huh. um, Hey, look, I'm I, a millennial and I still get children saying, okay, boomer to me. And I want to slap them. <laughs> can't do that. Then when they just prove you're a boomer. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Listen. <laughs> Listen, I don't need two rah-rahs on this show. I never have enough me's. There cannot be two rah-rahs. The world yeah, would implode. Yeah, it would be. But I- I'm trying to figure out, like, is it that, why do we seem to have so many more people now who identify as asexual? I don't remember anybody growing up, any of my friends saying, yeah, I'm not really attracted to people or... um even when I was in my 20s and 30s, like nobody I knew was going around, even if they didn't have the term asexual, they certainly weren't describing mm. that kind of those kind of feelings. And now, I mean, I'm glad to know that people know about it and it's they feel comfortable saying it, but it just seems like it's more, a lot more than it used to be. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if we have any like definitive research on like, this is why there's more ace people. I think a really huge part of it is just like awareness and people knowing that it's an option, which even just knowing things unlocks so much potential for people to discover what their actual truth is, because we don't have a term for what it is you're experiencing. It's very difficult to fully imagine yourself being that thing and really being able to process, does that fit my own personal experience? And I think it was really like the advent of the internet and the creation of what's called like the Avent forums, which was like the original home for people to discuss their experiences or thoughts about being asexual. And that was really, really important for people. And then eventually spreading onto, you know, YouTube, other social media platforms, it getting occasionally talked about on even, I think it was even like a Fox News segment where like a or maybe it was MSNBC. Fox News like covered very, what? This is like old, this is old school, like a very old Tucker Carlson clip of him interviewing and talking to in like a fairly like even-handed way compared to how he normally speaks, not to get too political. Uh, <laughs> um, like talking to the creator of the Avon forums and talking about like asexual identity. And so I think it maybe seems like there's a lot of people because like a lot of marginalized identities, we kind of have to meet each other online because it's, hard to meet each other in person like you can be in a small town and there will literally be no other ace people but you can log on to tiktok or go to twitter and instantly find a hundred of us because we're in you know we're in wisconsin we're in minneapolis we're in san francisco we're in palm beach we're in nevada like we're all over the place right and so online it's just easier to congregate and i think probably going back you know, several decades before the AVEN forums, before we really had a term for this, I know there is some research that shows that, like, there were people talking about asexuality and using that specific word, asexuality, but not really in any significant numbers. 
And I think it really has to do maybe a lot with sort of the way that we thought about like what was an acceptable like adult life path, right? Like you're supposed to, you know, find someone to settle down with and have a job and have kids. And I think the more and more we've opened up as a society to alternatives to that singular model of marry somebody of the opposite sex, have children, work a job for 50 years, collect a pension, and then, you know, just retire Die. into the sunset. Like, you know, now that we have more options besides that, more people can really sit and think instead of, like, getting pressured to get married at, like, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21. Then go, wait, do I really actually want that? And they might feel pressured to make different choices when there were simply no other options available socially, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Well. When I first learned about asexuals and started and started hearing people talk about it, it, it seemed to be this idea that being asexual meant you're repulsed by sex. Mm. That's actually how I thought it was at first. My, um, I actually, my ex-husband identifies as asexual and we didn't know about it for a while. Oh. And yeah, so... We had sex probably once or twice a year, and it was six months of me begging. Aww. Yeah, it was not fun. But then I went away for a weekend. I came back, and he says, hey, we got to talk. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. And he says, I think I identify as asexual, and that's why. And I'm like, okay, so you just straight up don't like sex? And he goes, not exactly, but he didn't know enough about it to explain it well to me. Mm. So that's, like, literally my only experience. I mean, yeah, that is that's quite the initial experience to have. And it's really unfortunate that a lot of people have to have that because, you know, maybe if he had had the words of the language to describe that before you got married, maybe things would have gone differently. And like, I always feel really guilty because I've been in that position as your ex-husband was not like six months without sex and feeling both that pressure to be like, I know my partner wants this, but I just don't care or it freaks me out or I don't like it. And sometimes people go the route of like, I'm just not going to do it at all. Or we're just going to see how it works. So the people like kind of self-sacrifice for their partner and try to do things that don't feel right with their body and with their brain for the sake of another person. And that can also be destructive. But, you know, being repulsed. Yeah, I think that was where he was at. Yeah. And I think being repulsed by sexuality or being repulsed by sex, let's say, that is something that I don't know. If it's the predominant way that most ace people feel, I feel like when I was kind of discovering my identity, that was what was kind of billed within the asexual community as being like the ideal asexual is somebody that like is repulsed by sex. Like there's sort of this like equivalent idea of like in asexual culture of like a gold star lesbian where like the pinnacle of, or like being like the caller MS submissive. You're not yeah. yeah. Right. If you want to be this. If you want to be the ace, yeah. then this is what you need to the be one like. Thing I, one of my, yeah. sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, just like the, the one thing I have really learned it, across any community I've been a part of is no matter what it is, there's always like a pinnacle of like, this is the ideal version of this thing our group aspires to be. And it will always be an extreme thing that is only obtainable by a very small percentage of the people involved. My mm -hmm. coworker says that he is a gold star gay mm. because he has never had sex with a vagina, mm -hmm. but he is very upset because he is not a platinum star gay, oh. which is a gay man who has never had sex with a vagina that was also born by cesarean section. So he has never even touched a vagina. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I've heard of that before. 
He's very mad at his mom for not having him as a C-section. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. I love it. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, the point is is that there's, like, there's always, like, the most thing you could be. And for ace people, I think being, like, like, a sex repulse, like, asexual, aromantic is sort of, like, treated as the peak of, like, you are the most ace. And, like, your identity can't be questioned, I think, is sort of the motivation for across all those things is, like, if you're a gold star lesbian or a gold star gay or if you're a gold star asexual and you've never had sex with anyone or you've never felt attraction you don't have any of those like wibbles or doubts in your mind about asexuality then no one can come up to you and say like well you're not really ace because remember that one time when you were in 10th grade and your boyfriend pressured you to have sex and then you did it and you kind of liked it well then you can't really be ace like that yeah that definitely is a thing that happens or at least used to and i think the ace community is getting a lot more open but there is a spectrum of how people feel in the ace community about sex, and some people are sex repulsed, and they are put off by the idea of sex and genitals. They don't want to see them, look at it, touch it, anything, not even their own, oftentimes as well. And that's very much where I was, like, in high school. Like, oh my god, the first time I ever saw a penis, I literally almost threw up. I had, like, run to the bathroom, because I didn't have any, like, Girl, male same. siblings. So I, like, had never even, like seen like a real one like in life before outside of like textbooks and i was like oh my god what is that <laughs> like, just listen listen away. penises are gross okay i'm glad they we look can agree. stupid well listen i love penises i love them they're too not the most, they're not the most attractive things in the mm-hmm. world no they're on their own mm-hmm. they have to be attached to something somebody that's Rara attractive, needs but... them attached to muscles mm. oh yeah just give me muscles and i'm a right? happy camper but I literally, I've never thought that penises were that attractive anyway. So, but I know for a fact that I am not asexual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it even goes beyond just like not liking it visually, but like being almost actively disgusted by it or just outright actively disgusted by it. Like don't want to think about it. Don't want to touch it. Don't want to look at your own necessarily. And like some people are mm. repulsed by like, like, if they have a penis, they're okay looking at a penis, but, like, a va- vagina would be really off-putting or vice versa. Um, and I was very much that way, like I said, when I was in high school. But then as I got older and I started to sort of be involved in the BDSM community and learn more about sex, I could be around it and feel more neutral about it, which is sort of the next level away from being repulsed as being, like, sex neutral or sex indifferent, where you're not actively grossed out by anything or the thought of sex or people having sex around you or noises or anything. But you're sort of like, eh, not really my thing. Don't really care one or the other. It's, I'm not sure what like a good analogy would be, but like think about something that you genuinely do not have a strong opinion about. Like some people are like pineapple on pizza, disgusting, hate it. Other people are like, I really like it. And there's some people who are like, I don't really care if there's pineapple there or not. And you're kind of that person. You're like, I mean, I don't actively want to have pineapple, but if it's in my general vicinity, I'm not going to point it out and be weirded out by it either. Or I'm not going to like, you know, have a big freak out if it turns out I open my pizza box and there's pineapples in it. Like, you know, that kind of a thing. Not to say that people that are sex repulsed would be like, oh my God, pineapples, throw it away. But um, in this <laughs> analogy, but like, it's very much like you just don't really have strong feelings one way or the other. And that's where I'm kind of at now. And then even there's people that are one step further away from that, that are sex favorable, where they might even enjoy the act of sex, even though they don't experience, like, sexual repulsion or, like, neutrality towards it. And and that's not really me, and so I can't fully speak to that experience, but from the people I know that do identify with that label, it's typically either some combination of 
I enjoy sex because of like the bonding element of it is like really important for me. I can physically enjoy, but mentally I'm not thinking about my partner, like being attracted to my partner. Like it's, it's sort of almost like detaching sex from like the person you're having sex with and your physical reactions from an interaction with a person and just sort of like that biological pleasure is still present and like compelling enough to like even want to seek it out or not like feel any sort of strong negative feelings towards genitalia in any way um but that's very much like a it's controversial to some extent sex favoritism just because like some people will say like well if you like sex at all then you can't really be ace and i don't i don't agree with that but um i think that there is certainly a lot of complexity in that um and the asexual person's reasons for having sex are also very diverse in general regardless of where they fall on the spectrum because for example if you want to have children even if your sex are pulsed like you're probably going to have to put up with it at least a couple times you know before you get to what your actual goal is or if you're sex neutral you might have a partner that has like a really high sex drive you might go well it's not really my thing but it's so important to my partner that like of course i'm like going to be able to navigate something where like it's not so much that it like ends up being a negative for me but I'm definitely willing to do things that make my partner happy in the same way that like I don't know maybe your partner is like very particular about how like the dishes are organized in your cabinets and you're like I don't even think about that (laughs) but like yeah I'll definitely remember when I'm unloading the dishwasher to organize them in the way that you like like it's not something that's like a big ask but you're willing to do it to make the other person happy Sounds like when I agree to do an electro scene with Dara. Oh, yeah. Or me get beat by you, except I don't actually get beat. No. You don't let me do. You let me do that once. Yeah. Once. Well, OK, but listen, you. So, so you're impact repulsed. Well, <laughs> I am, no, no, no. Well, I'm, I'm impact neutral. neutral. <laughs> I am impact neutral. No, I am blood repulsed. Yeah, that's true. You are. <laughs> Um, but when we do when we do electro, Rara mostly does it for me. Mm. But I'm the person that unloads the dishwasher the way that she wants it to be done. I will do Im- electro yeah. impact on her. Mm. Yes. There's a lot of analogies going on. Yeah, right we got like three actually, layers of analogy happening. I'm so confused. <laughs> I tried. Now you know BDSM. Even if you understand that it doesn't have to be sexual, it's still a very sex positive sex accepting environment Mm -hmm. right i mean our dungeon our public dungeons do allow sex so if you come to our dungeons you're gonna there's gonna be sexual acts happening Mm -hmm. and even if there wasn't there's almost always nudity Mm -hmm. going on and yet we're still attracting a large amount of asexuals into this lifestyle like how does that all work well i mean from what I've seen from my audience, because I do have a fair number of people that are also ace, a surprise, in my audience, who would have guessed. And <laughs> from the people that I've talked to, like, there are a fair amount of them that are like, I'm exploring this, but I haven't been to a dungeon yet, but I think I would like this. And there are other people who are very much, like, super involved. Like, where I used to live in Seattle before COVID, we had a whole separate munch just for ace spectrum people. Like, we had our, we, there was enough of us to where we can sustain our own munch, which is, like, pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, But I think one of the reasons why I, as an ace person, enjoy spaces that are, you know, BDSM, sex positive, even with nudity, is because, like, I find the nudity in BDSM spaces is, like, treated very neutrally, which is actually, like, really positive in terms of, like, I think body image and confidence as well is, 
you know, if you were to be nude in basically any other context, like you would probably have people at a club or whatever, right? Like if you were having <laughs> a nude club night at just a random vanilla bar, like you would probably expect people to like come up to you and make rude comments or kind of whisper behind your back or like say negative things about your appearance. Like, wow, she really thinks she's Touch allowed you. to walk around like that. Like, you know, people just being all kinds of unnecessarily rude. Whereas in BDSM spaces, business. like it's not really a hot topic. Like I've, I do not even have a memory of a time where it's even been brought up other than like maybe to comment on like a cool tattoo. Be like, wow, her tattoo is like super awesome. Like how long did that take? Like that kind of a comment you'll get, but it's so neutral and it's not necessarily actively sexualized. Only BDSM space I've been to where I felt like nudity was kind of sexualized was the Folsom Street Fair. When I went there, because you would have, have you ever, when you've been to that before or like. I haven't no. been, but I'm, okay. I'm well aware of it. Yeah. So you will get people obviously that walk around nude there because that's part of the fun of having the fair outside and it being sanctioned by the city of San Francisco is you get to walk around naked. And some people kind of get more into the exhibitionism and the voyeurism of it and are happy to stand off kind of on the side of the sidewalk, nude themselves watching nude people and getting aroused by that. Now, sex and masturbation are not a lot at Folsom Street Fair. So that doesn't necessarily happen, or it's not supposed to, at least. I did see one person one year I went there that I was pretty sure was trying to, like, secretly jerk off, but it's not a common occurrence. It's not supposed to happen. Uh, so, like, point being is for BDSM Dungeons, I think there are people that go there, and they like the fact that, like, you can be nude and comfortable in that without it being, like, a hot topic or... Or like a big, oh my gosh, wow, this is so crazy. Like, we're all just nude here. What the heck? Like, it's treated as like just sort of a, a thing that happens. And I think a lot of people enjoy that. And I think on the side where you will see more sexual acts happening, I would say I've had kind of like mixed experiences at Dungeons. I've definitely been to ones where sex, kind of especially like after COVID, I've noticed more sex happening at dungeons which is like part of the reason why i went to different spaces after covid was i was noticing okay this dungeon that used to basically like you'd have somebody in the aftercare area like on a mattress doing oral or you'd occasionally see people doing piv but you, that wasn't a regular thing and if you saw sex it was something that was very much like kink connected like it, there would be a hitachi there would be bondage there would be now now for some reason after covid it kind of really became oh, it's a couple showing up, having sex together, just like regular vanilla sex in public on a bench and then going home. And I don't really want to see that as an ace person or as like a kinkster because it kind of like ruins the vibe for me a little bit when it's just like vanilla intercourse at a dungeon. I'm like, did you really? Like, I think maybe we need to have separate parties for this, you know? Well, I'm guessing mm -hmm. maybe their fetish is exhibitionism. That's what I was going to say. I was thinking they're... They're probably exhibitionists and they want people to watch them. Mm -hmm. Which is like. So and the funny thing is, is I'm a total exhibitionist, which is why I'm perfectly fine at swinger events, mm. having sex and knowing I'm watched. Mm -hmm. But again, my kink and my sex lives are totally separate, mm -hmm. despite the fact. And this is very well known because my tops love to point this out. <laughs> I get physically aroused. So when I'm doing rope or doing impact or needles or whatever I'm doing, I get wet. Now, and people my, point it out every time. They <laughs> love to point it out. Um, now, my brain isn't thinking sexual thoughts. I'm, my brain isn't thinking, 
oh, good, now I get an orgasm or I want sex or whatever. Mm -hmm. I could go home and just go to sleep. Mm -hmm. But physically, my body is showing signs of arousal. Mm -hmm. We're just, our brains are very interesting. Yeah, it's like you can be having something physiologically happen that does not connect with your mental state at all. I think that's something that a lot of ace people struggle with, like when they do have sex with partners is they'll go, oh, well, but you're able to get hard. Oh, you, you got wet. Like, what do you mean you didn't like it? What do you mean that you weren't attracted to me? And it's like, well, it's not like, first of all, when people are like, oh, what do you mean you're attracted to me? Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not necessarily sexually attracted to you, but like romantically, platonically, like, yes, I want to be with you. I want to date you. Like, you're a really awesome person. I want to have a committed, like, long-term relationship with you. When I look at you, though, I just don't consider sex in that equation. But certainly a lot of folks like can have a physiological response that does not connect with anything mentally going on. So I don't like it when people say like just because you got wet or hard means that you're sexually attracted to literally anything because those are physical responses that it could have absolutely nothing to do with how you're thinking or feeling. Mm-hmm. That is the thing that people say like where you you enjoyed it, but you were actually raped. Yeah, it's like that logic. And I, I almost wonder where it comes from. And my inclination is that at least part of it is, I don't know if this is still the case, but I know there's a lot of like research that has been done in the realm of like how to like like people's responses to pornography, right? Or like do yeah. can people be aroused by certain things or how many people are aroused by certain things? And like they'll typically measure things like wetness or like if somebody gets an erection or not like other like physiological responses when it could be like totally unrelated or like there might be some element of that that you visually enjoy but maybe it's not like what the researchers are assuming it is and so it kind of creates this like weird like oh because the science is saying that this physiological thing is connected to arousal or is arousal that means when this happens like when i'm with somebody it means that they're like mentally aroused and into it in this particular way and i'm like i don't know if that's actually the right correlation to be making there so how as an asexual how do you navigate the kink community is there i mean i assume you run into into people who sort of expect sex to be a part of kink i would say i have not had that interaction face-to-face with people like pick up play at a party where somebody's gone up to me and expected sex like face-to-face I like for some reason people aren't that bold or maybe I put out different vibes in person but definitely when I have gone to conventions or I say I'm going to a party and I list like a personal ad thing on FetLife where maybe like there's a big convention and people are saying hey like I'm here for this weekend I'm looking for this kind of a scene and if I post that I will absolutely get people usually male rope tops is like the biggest demographic for this and you're nodding your head so apparently this is a common experience <laughs> yeah well yeah. male rope tops have a reputation they, do. So they yeah. certainly do and it's uh, <laughs> I, i'm fascinated why it's that particular demographic as opposed to like impact play tops right like how does what's going on there yeah. but you know we could speculate about that all day <laughs> I, I have found that with particularly male rope tops i will get people that and i'm very good at detecting it at this point I will get people that they'll say in their profile or in their ad that they primarily play sexually or they enjoy sex or even if they're not looking for sex, they might masturbate afterwards or they might process it sexually. And I have found through my own experience that I prefer not to play with people that will even say like, oh, well, like 
like it's sexual for me we don't have to have sex because they still put a sexual energy into the scene because that's what they get out of it and i can feel that happening and it makes me uncomfortable and i'm like no like i don't know you you're a stranger like i don't have any connection to you at all and you like projecting this sex energy into the shared experience that i don't want to participate in is weird and makes me uncomfortable and i don't want to have that happen um so just very carefully is the answer i guess in terms of like how do you navigate that is uh just very <laughs> carefully reading people's profiles and ads asking those questions really directly because especially at this point in like my kink journey where i'm not really dealing with like sub frenzy worrying about missing out on opportunities like i'm willing to just put it out there like is this about sex for you and by that i mean like and then a list of like do you mean this do you mean this do you mean this and really really clarifying and making sure that we can be on the same page and i find it usually works out better with friends like even if i have friends in the scene that are really sexual with their partners because they're kind of getting those other needs met with the partner they can play more platonically with me um, so just like lots of very thorough negotiation and ideally not doing pickup play that's like fully nude over the genitals, anything where they would be like a higher risk factor of like misunderstanding. Can you give any like examples of a time that this happened? Because I think a lot of listeners would be interested in, first of all, what your basic negotiation questions are for something like that, uh, just to give them like a, a starting point. Mm, like a like an example of like a negotiation you mean well like first of all we love stories okay. on this show like anybody that's got experience stories like everybody seems to love those the most but i'm personally genuinely curious about what kinds of questions you ask but yeah if you want to throw that in like a experience story i think people would really like that too yeah i mean i can kind of do both so i would say most of my experience more recently has been like through dating apps and like trying to meet kinky people on like OkCupid and Field and places like that. And on there, because you both have a profile, you have to read it, you have to match it. I can't really speak to things like Bumble or Tinder where you don't really have like a profile, you kind of have like a sentence. <laughs> um, but certainly <laughs> there's other websites where you get to have more of a detailed list of like, this is what I'm into, this is what I'm looking for. Like I will just be very thorough, first of all, of like checking for I'm going to say the term red flags, but I don't mean red flags in the generalized sense of like everyone should be worried about that. I mean, personal red flags where like, I know if I see that, we're probably not going to be compatible. Like people, when they talk about their kinks, if their kinks are like blowjobs and and like panties Anal. and like schoolgirl uniforms, Anal. like, okay, <laughs> we're probably, that's kind of a little bit of a red flag. Do they talk a lot about wanting to have certain sexual experiences like threesomes, orgies? Are they looking for like a third for their girlfriend? That's usually like primarily sexual in nature. Like when they talk about their kink experiences, do they talk about it in a way where it's like, and I can't think of a clear example of this, but like, do they talk about it in a way where it's clear that they mean like in the bedroom, I pulled a girl's hair and she was into it versus like, I go to a dungeon and I own a flogger and like I have a membership somewhere I go to a much right like how they talk about their kink experiences and then from there and then from there when we're actually having a conversation like more one-on-one -on -one, then I'm going to ask more detailed questions about like initially like like how long they've been doing kink for 
uh, like how long they've been interested in it, what sort of things they've done in the past that they've enjoyed, what fantasies they have, if anything, if they've ever been to a local dungeon or a class before, uh, if they've ever done this with partners, like what those experiences maybe were like, what they want to try again, and then like how they process it, like what they're into about it. I might not necessarily start off by saying like, is this about sex for you? But I'll kind of lead into that with a question where it's like, oh, what do you enjoy about kink? And if it's like, it makes my dick hard <laughs> or like I have a like I have a fetish for something and like I'm not against fetishes like I've most partners I've had in the last 10 years of my life have had a fetish but like if their primary motivation for getting into kink is that they have like a like a 1950s housewife fetish like that's probably going to be difficult to align with my own kink needs and so like we need to have a conversation about that but typically I lead in by asking about like what they enjoy about kink and if it's like you know the fulfillment of power exchange the bonding the vulnerability that's a very different answer from like uh i like it because i like rough sex or like it's really hot to choke a girl or, or spank her or something like those are two very different answers and then i'll just get more detailed from there in terms of like depending on how much experience they have what they're looking for what their interests are, I'll kind of tailor it to that. But I try to get as like, granular as I can without it being like an interrogation, trying to figure out like how sexual the experiences is for them. And I try to be cautious when I'm playing with new people that don't really have a lot of BDSM experience, setting up those boundaries around like, okay, you've only done a couple scenes before. I'm like the second person you've ever done this with. This is what we're going to do. And don't touch here, here, and here. Like, don't say these words. Like, a whole list of like boundaries to outline for things and I find that tends to be pretty effective but on the subject of like kind of a story related to this there's one I've I've told a few times before of where this kind of like really got drilled into my head of like I need to make sure I'm being really thorough about this is I was at a fairly large BDSM convention and I was approached by somebody that wanted to do a bondage scene and I was really excited about it because like I'm very into bondage and I like doing bondage that is not just rope, uh, which is a weirdly tall order <laughs> in the Pacific Northwest <laughs> to find people that do bondage that is not just rope. And I love rope. Don't get me wrong. But at the time, I had a same partner. Thing, same thing on the East Coast. Yeah, it's like, and don't get me wrong, <laughs> I love shibari, love rope bondage, but I like, there's so much more out there than that. And sometimes when you spend a weekend doing four different rope bondage scenes, you want a different flavor. You know, sometimes you love the chocolate ice cream, and sometimes you want Rocky Road or strawberry, right? You want a little little different variety on the usual. I feel like this would be a good class at Winter Fire next year. Bondage, but not with rope. <laughs> I mean, put it on Listen, the list. Uh, I saw that test. Somebody posted pictures. They, mm -hmm. they did a they did a straight jacket scene. Oh. And I'm like, oh. I said, how was that? She said, it I want to so, do that. She mm -hmm. said she actually fell asleep because she was so relaxed. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And yeah. I'm like, I want to do that. I want to do a straight jacket with an anal hook. That is definitely a thing that people do. I was even, I, I want to say there's like a stock room. There's a stock room bolero. I, I'm pretty sure has a photo somewhere of like, you can, there's a hook you can connect the anal hook to on the back with like a chain. Yeah, that's definitely a thing. And like, that sounds straight awesome. jackets, especially for like non rope bondage, is like, if you get like a cloth one or something, if you want like a legit, like kind of like asylum style cloth straight jacket, those are less expensive than you might think they would be. But I could talk about bondage equipment all oh, day long. I could too. <laughs> and yeah. Well, then you can wear like little, you can wear striped black and white tights with it. Mm -hmm. 
You have a whole look. And, and be like, mm-hmm. I feel like it'd be really good for like if you're into like a like Harley Quinn role play. Like if you're really in, yes, that I that I, <laughs> I think. not not specifically Harley Quinn, but yeah. like that type. Yeah. Yeah. That energy for sure. Absolutely. That would be I, I need to I need to be taken to a Victorian school for Wayward Girls. Oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. Oh god. Now give me see this is why I say I'm an occasional sadist, <laughs> is because then suddenly my brain's like, oh yeah, you could do a scene where you're like doing a mind fuck about giving her a lobotomy, but you're not really gonna give her a lobotomy, obviously. But it's like I don't know, I'm getting like worry, sucker I'm punch taking, vibes, I'm taking actually. notes I because I I could totally see me being the headmistress mm. at that school. So I, I'll be the doctor. No, you're the student. Remember? Oh, I'm the student. You Never mind. So. You no, I want to. So. I want to do both. You have to do a costume I can, change I can, in the middle. I can graduate, and then yes. after you graduate, <laughs> I love it. I love it so good. I mean, I, I know, like this. I know in California there is a rentable, like old prison that you can that you can rent out that you can people film stuff in it. You know, obviously, I don't know about like old like abandoned victorian era schools though is it the the armory yeah, uh maybe that name's familiar it's been like years since i looked into this so i don't remember what the name is but i think that might be it okay it might be the armory because that's uh kink.com actually uh was renting that for a while and that's where they did all of their like their offices were in mm. there they had their studios in there everything okay i think it was something else i think it was a different thing now i'm gonna google it because i can't help myself uh, a rental <laughs> prison in California. See, I also want to do saran wrap mummification. That's really Ooh, fun. That would be good. Mm-hmm. See, you can't do the vac bed because you can't do the latex star, but you could do the um I could saran do saran wrap. wrap. Do you know what else we could do with the saran wrap? You could write on it in pink Sharpie and do praise kink with that. Oh, yep. there you go. I love that combination. I hadn't even thought of that before. We've gotten very good at combining stuff recently with like multiple kinks rolled into one scene. We haven't done any done of them, yet. but we have a shit ton list of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Our eyes off. All right. Let's, I want to hear the rest of her story. Okay. I didn't even Sorry. want to like, finish, uh, like start telling it. Okay. Let's get back. I got too excited. <laughs> Dar- the idea, the Dar- the idea ADHD kicks strong. in. Um, yeah. So the, the experience that I had at this convention we had talked about doing a bunch of different types of bondage that were not rope bondage because if I remember this correctly, I think they were burned out on like doing rope. And then I was just like, I want to do more than just rope. And we had like this whole scene planned out of like, we're going to do like mummification. We're going to do like, we got all these cuffs, we got all this like layers of stuff we were going to do, a hood, a gag, all this other, other things going on. And I remember... There was also a secondary component of this that I think added an extra layer of, like, discomfort that involved, like, somebody else watching the scene happen that was sort of unrelated to this particular component of it. But while we were doing the scene, I I remember when they were, like, wrapping me up with stuff and, like, applying things and, you know, putting stuff around my hands. Like, I think if you were looking at it from the outside, you probably couldn't have been able to tell that it was something that was like sexual energy happening on one end and then not happening on the other but there was something about the way that like the hands would linger or like the eye contact or like the grazing touch Mm. that just felt underlyingly sexual that kind of left 
a bad taste in my mouth about it afterwards. Not that I like blame them or thought that they like violated my consent or anything like that, but just like, oh, I need to be more clear in the future about like what kind of energy I want to get out of a scene. And then that expanded into me thinking about like energy and scenes more generally because I had thought in the last couple of years about how much are negotiations, like when you go to a negotiation class or when they teach you how to do it at like an intro thing at a dungeon or just in general when people talk about it, it's very much like, who's the top? Who's the bottom? What kind of play are we doing? What's the safe word? And at no point do you really tend to talk about outside of role play what you want to get emotionally from the experience. It's like, okay, well, we're doing a flogging scene at 10 p.m. at this dungeon for 20 minutes on the cross, and then and this is the aftercare, here's the safe word. But if you miss that really vital component of like, flogging for me is a very sensual, relaxing experience, and you have to have me in manacles up against a cross, because if you don't, I'm just going to fall over because I'm going to fall asleep. It's so relaxing, versus like, I like flogging because for me, it's like a medieval torture roleplay thing. And I like pretending that I'm a prisoner, like, I'm, I'm a prison warden flogging a prisoner for like breaking a rule like if you don't talk about what's mentally going on behind those scenes for you like you're gonna get into it and be like why is he acting so strict and then why is she so relaxed about this am i not hitting her hard enough what's wrong <laughs> like you're gonna definitely cross those wires uh, in ways that you don't mean to yeah i never thought about negotiating the the sexual or lack of sexual energy. Mm -hmm. Like it's always been just pretty much, this is not sexual. We're not going to have, there's going to be no orgasms at the end of this. Obviously I will be touching certain body parts. I mean, when I'm doing rope suspension, my, my rigor is going to touch my boobs. Her hands are on my, on my pussy. Hence the reason she likes to announce to everybody, Oh, look, Rara's getting my rope sweat again. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> And this was one of my best friends, so there was really nothing sexual mm -hmm. there. But, you know, that's like the extent of it. I never really think about being very specific with the sexual energy. I discussion. did have to learn that one early on oh. uh, with Electro. Mm. I actually have that in. I have a 15 question questionnaire thing that I give to people. And because with Electro, I, I noticed very quickly that some people get very sexually aroused with it and can orgasm. Mm. And some people find it ticklish. Some people find it like just soothing. So in my questionnaire, I actually say, how do you want to feel at the end of this session? Mm. Yeah, it's a really good one. Are we going for sexual arousal here? Am I going to send you home to somebody? Are you going to go home and like just go woo? Are we really good friends where I can do that for you? Uh, or are we going to do more of a relaxing, sensual kind of thing? I I have actually had that almost from the start. Mm. Um, but I never thought about that with flogging. Well, that's interesting. I, I don't. Like I do. I top for impact. Mm. And the question is, when I, when I say to somebody, how do you want to feel at the end of this? It's like, do you want it to be cathartic? Mm, do you yes, want it to that. just, you want it to just be relaxing? I never bring up the sexual side of it. I just sort of like, I guess I'm assuming because I've told them this is, there's going to be no sex happening at the end of this. I'm not giving you an orgasm mm. though. If they happen to be one of those people who can orgasm from impact and I have seen it happen, if they want to orgasm on their own, I'm not going to tell them they can't. Mm. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's exactly why you have to have those more thorough negotiations is like, 
when you're coming at this from the perspective of like i'm ace i don't want to be around anything sexual like even the energy of it or like people individually processing it sexually when i'm not that creates a different set of circumstances that you're going to want to be in versus somebody that is sexual maybe you don't want genital contact but you're okay with like if they like jerk off in front of you afterwards or if like you can tell it's physically arousing for them even if they don't like do anything about it like i mean it depends so much on the individual person like where their comfort level is but i always think that more negotiation is better than less and really being clear about okay this is what's going to happen this is what's not going to happen just based on my own experience of i have found that when you are not exactingly clear a lot of people that do want things to be sexual will try to push up to exactly where your boundary is, right? Ex even kind of push past it a little bit about like, what can I get away with that this person, they didn't explicitly say they didn't want this. And so I'm going to see if I can get away with doing it. Maybe not even like consciously processing it that way, but because it is a sex thing for them and they want to engage in that feeling and that experience, like they're going to try to kind of get to that as much as they can to get their own enjoyment out of this feeling, if that makes sense. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Um, so you had mentioned earlier about some asexual um, aces during like their DS. Maybe they're the submissive and their dominant is expecting as part of their service to be serviced. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to be sexually serviced. Mm -hmm. Is that something that, I mean, and I don't want to say, and not everybody, because nobody, nobody falls into an everybody category. Um, but how does that work if you're, if you're asexual, right? Do you just say, no, I won't, or is it? I mean, like with any part of DS, it's something you negotiate, right? Like you negotiate for if your partner is allowed to like tell you how you style your hair or what clothes you wear. And in the same way, you're going to negotiate around like what sex acts are we going to give up power exchange over? And maybe the sex part when your DS stays egalitarian, which is like kind of the opposite of how most people do it. Some, most of the time from what I've observed, sex is the first thing that gets DSified. You know, it's like that's the <laughs> comfortable place to start experimenting yep. with the DS. And if that works, then you add in the outside, like more everyday life elements. But for ace people, I think it either tends to be something you add in later or you just have to be very clear about the way that you're processing it if it is something that's important to your partner like in my own past relationships where oh okay you guys want to hear a story i don't think i've ever told anywhere else before oh okay yes. all right um so in my first attempt at a ds relationship oh, i was so excited i was like oh my god i'm gonna get to do ds i found this person to do ds with and at the time i was still in college i was fairly young my partner was like a year older than me they didn't have like extensive bdsm experience they'd had some other partners they did BDSM with, but also I'd never done like a full-on DS relationship. And I was like, I went on the internet and I found out about a thing called contracts. And that sounds super fun and awesome. Let's make a contract together. <laughs> and so we went through and we wrote out all these rules and stuff we wanted to do together. And I had things that I wanted in terms of like titles. And it was like, I, we, had, we had met up to get food somewhere. I had like gone back to his place. We hit it off really well. And then I think we had met up like uh, maybe four or five times before we were like, let's do a contract. So that tells you how much of a good idea this was. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've had that good idea. So I sympathize. Yeah. So 
we start writing this contract and figuring out what we wanted. I was more kind of the rules and the structure and like kind of building in a punishment and reward system in. And then he went in a very sexual direction, like immediately. And at the time I didn't like, I was in the journey of understanding that I was asexual. I hadn't quite gotten to that point yet. And so I didn't maybe flag it as a no-go in the way that I would currently. But one of the first rules that he put in was that I had to make him orgasm six to seven times a week, which as an ace person is like a fair number, especially because like I was still in school. He was like working like it was like a, we it was like schedule coordination. Uh, he didn't have a car. So it was like I always had to go to him. It was like a whole thing. And like that immediately did not work out. Uh, not necessarily because I wasn't even willing to do that. But it turns out like making somebody orgasm seven times a week every week is like a fairly difficult thing to end to end up doing when you have scheduling conflicts and no previous experience doing BDSM or DS. So there was an attempt, but it was only an attempt. And the way that I processed it initially when we first started to try that as part of a contract was that like, this is a service thing I'm providing for my partner, something that's like really important to them something that's very enjoyable for them. And because I am more on the sex neutral part of that spectrum, for me, I just processed it as like, this is a way I can give up authority. This is a way I can give up control and do something that is not necessarily a huge ask for me, but is something that they really enjoy and like is important to them. And that's the way that I thought about it. Now, if this had maybe played out different in reality, where we were living together and I did have to make sure that he had an orgasm every single day using my body, that would definitely, at this point in my life, that would definitely be something that would be destructive to the relationship and I would have to renegotiate that to where it would be more of like, as opposed to like a goal of like a certain number of orgasms, it would be more of like, I can tell you when we're going to have sex. But because this would be something I would do with a partner who knew me really, really well, and of course would know that I'm on the A spectrum and that I'm not really driven towards sex, and I do have like an upper limit of number of sex acts I can do per day or per week before it starts to become a negative thing for me, they would account for that in the execution of when they choose to like act on that prerogative they have if that makes sense right like i think a lot of ds mm-hmm. roles people kind of get tripped up about like well if the dom is allowed to do this thing they're always going to do that thing when i think long-term ds that ends up being healthy usually involves the dom going well i really would want to do that but would that also make my partner happy and if it makes them unhappy is it so much that it would ultimately end up eroding the relationship and having that balance between like the dom's authority and desires and like maintaining the health of the relationship. One of the things that I hear from some people who identify is asexual. Their their concerns and for some even almost at a fear level that being asexual is going to make finding partners difficult. Mm. You know, and I, I don't I never know what to say because I'm not asexual and I'm finding it difficult to find the partner who I can mesh with. Mm. So I, I don't know if that added need would make it even worse or not. Any words of advice for, for, for those folks? I mean, any single time you have a difference outside of like vanilla heterosexuality 
with cis people, you're going to take away a certain portion of the dating pool, be it because you're gay or you're trans or you're kinky or you're polyamorous. Like you're always going to end up reducing the size of like the potential people that you could be dating. But what I do find about people that are ace themselves or open to dating asexual people is they tend to be much more open about what their needs are, what they're capable of doing. And I've really found that kind of dating within the BDSM community has been like a big boon for that where like, oh my God, like I was on Tinder for all of like five seconds before I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> like just realizing like what the average non-kinky heterosexual monogamous person is one dealing with in the dating market, but then also like how men that are like that, and I know I'm like stereotyping all men right now, <laughs> hashtag not all men, uh, are how they're presenting themselves, what they want from relationships. Like, oh my God, absolutely not. So sort of like, you could have 10,000 matches, but do you really want 10,000 matches? Or do you want like 10 that you know you're going to be really compatible with? Or like 100 that you would be potentially really compatible with? So I tend to think about it less like I'm losing an opportunity and more I'm narrowing down into the people I know that I'm going to have a really good time with. Because, oh my God, who has the time to go on 50 first dates where like you talk for 10 minutes and you figure out like, oh, this guy's an asshole or absolutely not. Or like he smells really bad or like whatever, right? The million other things that can make you incompatible. Like this just narrows down in a lot of ways, like the, the scope of people that you could potentially be dating. But I think if you are struggling with finding people to be compatible with, like if you're not on things like OkCupid or Field, those are my top two picks for dating apps. And I, I feel like I've mentioned them I'm a couple times. I'm on both of those. I spend a lot of time swiping left. Yeah. I mean, it's not, <laughs> like there are a lot of people that like are not going to be compatible with you on those apps. But I've personally found from my experience as an ace person that I'm the most likely to find people there versus anywhere else. Or just like meeting people in person at munches and like looking for spaces that are more queer and like asexuality focused, I find is also really helpful if you have any access to that. And then just like being really open and honest and upfront. I think this goes for like, no matter where you're at in your life, be it because you're ace or you're looking for a marriage or you want to have kids or you're polyamorous, like you always have to be super upfront with what your like must haves are. And the sooner you can do that, the better your outcomes are going to be. And you're not going to be juggling five, 10 people that you don't really end up actually being able to have anything lasting with. And hopefully you're going to find people that understand you. Or if they don't, initially, they're willing to learn and be respectful in that process of learning more about how you identify and how that fits into a relationship. And you don't have to only date other ace people. And I haven't really done that because there's not enough of us to to do that. Like I, I on the time I've been in dating apps, I have seen, I want to say, two or three asexual people that were all looking for just friends, not even for dates. And then like one or two demi people. But the one demi person that I met on a dating app that I like, I even saw to swipe by it all as like an option was like a dance instructor that I had. So like, I couldn't even like, I was oh. like, no, like, <laughs> yeah, like I had a dance instructor that I actually, I almost like, I was like, do I, if I, if I, do I swipe in and acknowledge and say hi? Like there was like a whole thought process of like, how do I, I just closed the app. That was my solution. I just, just, just leave it alone. Just closed it. I just swear, run away. I just I ran swear away. Half my messages on OkCupid okay at this point are friends going, fancy meeting you here. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of jokes <laughs> like that, for sure. Yeah. I, I've read it to, you know, some 
a, a decent amount of asexuals who ended up going poly mm, because yeah. that way they felt they didn't have to worry with their partner. Do I need to provide the sex for them? That's just not what their relationship is built on. And then their partner has other partners and that's where they get their sexual needs. Well, we tried from. to do that. My, my husband and I at the time were trying to do the open thing. And that's where, that's when I met my husband, number three, current husband. <laughs> I didn't mean to make him my third husband. Okay. I was going, I was going daddy hunting. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. And I wanted, uh, I wanted the kink that husband at the time could not provide. Mm. And I wanted the sex that he also would not provide, mm. or I guess could not. And... I so I went daddy hunting and I found this one and then number two and I got divorced and then a few years later number three and it was like okay he's still here cool mm-hmm. yeah I mean I think as far as like being poly goes I I never want to offer this in the framework of like I think it's easy to think about it like you're not good enough to be monogamous with and so you have to be open or poly in order to like qualified to even date someone at all. I don't want to approach it from that perspective. And I, if that's what you're thinking and feeling about yourself as an ace person, I'm like, oh, well, I'm not really comfortable with this, but I have to do it to find someone to love me at all. And so I'm going to force myself to do it. Like, don't, no, don't do that. Like really examine if you want to even try this before you do it and be really honest with yourself. But I do think a lot of ace people ultimately do fall under somewhere in the poly open Umbrella, typically not swingers. I don't know if an ace person's ever been to a I, swinger I meetup yeah. before, but I would love <laughs> to know. The swingers is pretty much just about sex. Yeah, yeah. There's a <laughs> yeah, there's a self-selecting group uh, group there for sure. But I would be like, would you ever just go to like support your spouse and like just sit with like a mai tai or something in the back and go, I hope she's having a fun time. <laughs> like, I, I there wonder. was somebody like that though at the most recent Fet Ball. Um, my husband was actually talking to them. He had. Didn't like any of it, like not the BDSM, not any of it, but he was there literally to support his wife in her journey. Aww. And he went with her and he brought her and was like, here, do this. I found this for you. I will stand here. Beautiful. It was cute. Very supportive. Love to see it. So, yeah, I, wa- I want it to be from that more like supportive, more positive place of like I'm expanding my life and my partner's life in a way that we both enjoy and both help us have better relationships and be more fulfilled people and that's how I got into polyamory was I had thought with myself okay like I know I have the capacity to be romantic with multiple people I know that my sex drive is not where most people are probably going to be comfortable being monogamous and so like what pragmatically makes the most sense but not in the like I'm not good enough for anyone to really love me like that kind of mentality it was very much like what would be best for my long-term life to make sure I and the people around me can also be happy. And uh, it's worked out so far for the most part. I mean, honestly, the times when my relationships don't work, it's been like in the past when I was still monogamous and like people would say up front, they're like, oh, you're ace, like that's totally cool. Like, yeah, I can work with that. And then like after six months, they're like, I thought I could change you. (laughs) It was like, no like and they won't say it like that they kind of think that if like oh well if you fall in love we do this that and the other like you'll change your mind and it's like this isn't a change your mind thing you just haven't met the right person Mm -hmm. yet they'll make you yeah exactly i hate that shit Mm -hmm. 
it's like listen i've like doing bdsm being poly i have had every opportunity to try almost every sexual thing on the planet and if at this <laughs> point something was magically going to unlock my sexual attraction it would have happened by now orgies threesomes be like like going back to like electro play like right like what are those like uh, like electro play dildos like those insertable toys like it, like pick anything right on the spectrum of bdsm and polyamory or like multi-partner sex acts and it's like no it's all just sort of not really doing that for me it's almost I like i bet you haven't done my electro yet mm, oh, don't yeah, exactly <laughs> right you just haven't been tied up in my rope yet like oh my god gonna yeah you just you just haven't done it my way i bet i can change your mind yeah, like, yeah i can vouch you did it <laughs> your way i didn't change my mind on it <laughs> no and obviously i was being sarcastic rah rah mm-hmm. it's my god. job i'm the sarcastic bitch not you <laughs> well i learned from the best I know. I mean, I'm training and, like, you in my I, Padawan. I, I think it's worth trying things twice. <laughs> I think, like, especially if it's, like, an easy-to-navigate BDSM thing, like a flogging or a spanking, sometimes it's not the act itself. It's the person you're doing it with or the context or the furniture or whatever or the music that's playing. It's worth trying at least twice. But after you've given it a fair shake and you still don't like it, you don't like it. It's fine. And maybe in 10 years ago... Maybe I should try that again. And then you try it again. And maybe your feelings change. Or it doesn't. And all of that should be your own process, not somebody else pressuring you and being like, hey, baby, let me tie you up. I can I'm gonna make you have fifty <laughs> orgasms just for my rope. Like like Um okay. I, I can vouch they also do that with the allosexuals. They do that with they everyone, do honestly. That. They need to calm down. <laughs> they need to they, they need to calm down. <laughs> Well, I, that's all my questions, Dar, unless you had any more. I have been actively asking like the whole time and making comments and stuff. So I'm fine. I got a lot of information from this that is ridiculously helpful. Yay. Oh, yeah. I, I've learned so much uh, just between this interview and then watching your other videos that you've posted. Mm-hmm. I, I also listened to your um, interview with, with Sunny. Oh, great. I, I did my research. That's what I do. Mm. It's my job. <laughs> I like <laughs> to learn all this stuff. Excellent. Because then Dara asks why, and I have to tell her. Mm. Yeah. I love the why. Uh, I also love those ones. The whys are my favorite. That's like what I love to do. The how-tos are fine. The hows are okay. It's the why that I think is really like so so good. Well, I just think it's really interesting how the brain works and like how there's so many different varieties. Mm. So like... You know, I started out with, why do you have this fetish? Why do you like being humiliated and in the shower? And this person's like, well, I think it has to do with the fact that my babysitter put me in the shower when I was really too old to have a babysitter put me in the shower. And it was really embarrassing, but I was also really hot. And it's that kind of thing. Mm, yeah. Yeah. See, I'm more, I'm more along the line of when. When can I do it? Can I do it now? I want to do it now. Can I do it now? <laughs> mm. So I think that's going to be it. I want to thank you so much for doing this with us today. I've been so excited about getting to talk to you about this, learning more, and, you know, just, just getting to talk to you. As I said, I, I've been fangirling. So. She's been counting down the days. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> she was reminding me, oh, my God, tomorrow. Tomorrow is Evie? Oh, my God. Oh, oh my God. Don't forget. Jumping. I started dropping hints in our patron Discord server going, guess who we get to talk to? Guess who we get Aww. to talk to? 
Well, I, I hope it was so. worth it. Thank you for having me it, on. It and absolutely thank you everyone was. who's been listening for listening for sure. <laughs> All right. Um, you can find Evie on YouTube. It's Evie Lupine. We'll put the links in the show notes. And I hope that answered everybody's questions about uh, asexuality and kink. And obviously, if you have more, we can always forward the questions to her. Or you can ask them yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very available. Actually, I'm about to go do my Friday night live stream that I do on YouTube at six o'clock on the West Coast, nine o'clock on the East Coast. And it's like a great open forum for all y'all's questions if you ever want to pop in. Perfect. All right. Thank you again. All right. Thanks. Thanks for hanging out with us today. If you have a question you would like answered or just have a story about the lifestyle you want to share, you can send us a voicemail and maybe it'll be featured in an episode. Just go to pinkkinkpodcast.com to contact us. Follow us on social media. On Twitter, Instagram, and FetLife, we are Pink Kink Podcast. And on TikTok, we are Pink Kink Podcast 2.0. Join our Facebook group, Pink Kink Podcast, and hang out with other pink kinksters. If you love what we do and are able to help support us, we are on Patreon. Just look for us on patreon.com slash pinkkinkpodcast. You can also help support our affiliates, which benefits small businesses and pink kink. Even if you can't show your support financially, there are other ways you can help. You can spread the word about our kinky podcast and tell your friends about us. You can also rate and review Pink Kink on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The five-star reviews really help. Don't forget to subscribe to Pink Kink so you don't miss a minute of the fun. New episodes come out every Friday. Until next time, stay pretty, stay safe, and stay twisted. Stay twisted.